Well, um, so this is Annie Duke, uh, author of Thinking in Bets and uh, How to Decide. And I'm really excited because I'm going to be talking to Kuhn Smets today. Uh, some people might know him on Twitter as Confucius. Great pun. Uh, but he is absolutely one of my favorite follows on Twitter. I think he's an amazing thinker. I uh, cite him actually in How to Decide. So super excited to have you here. Um, Kuhn, uh, you, uh, let's just start here. Your Twitter bio, you self-identify as an accidental behavioral economist. How does that happen? What does that mean? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a bit corny, really, but um, it I, I'm, I have no background in psychology or behavioral science or anything like that. I'm I'm an engineer by training and did engineering stuff in the first part of my life. And then through coincidence rolled into um, organization development and uh, organizational change and that kind of stuff. And that got me really interested in understanding why people do what they do and, and why they don't do what they don't do. Because very often in organizations, when you see dysfunction, it is because people are not doing what you're expecting them to do or what you would like them to do. Um, and I, I try to understand that as an engineer, it, thinking in kind of systems, um, it's, it's a bit of a challenge, but I, I've always had an interest in economics. And so I began to look at uh, organizations as economic systems, as markets in a sense, in which people need to manage the scarce resource of um, their time, their attention, um, they have convictions and beliefs about who uh, is on top and all that kind of thing. And so that got me somewhere, but it didn't get me everywhere. And that's when um, Kahneman uh, sort of got his Nobel Prize. And then I, I got interested in, in this strange thing called behavioral economics. And so I kind of rolled into this and, and by accident, in a sense. And so that's why I, I sort of identified as the accidental behavioral economist, although I guess I'm probably more of a, a behavioral engineer than a, than a behavioral economist, but economics still, is still very important in the way I look at, uh, at the world. Okay, so as you think about these kinds of, um, you know, obviously transactions between people and this kind of systems thinking uh, and uh, decision-making and organizations for individuals, one of the things that I personally found fascinating about uh, the kinds of things that you've written about and the one that really grabbed my attention enough for me to put it in a book was this idea of the only option test. Um, for me, what fascinated me is that I find these situations all the time when I'm working with individuals where uh, they're choosing between two options, um, generally ones that are both really good, either both really good or both really poor, but let's think about both really good where uh, they're essentially get into these kind of analysis loops where they're spinning their wheels and they're unable to decide between the two. And what you made me realize, and I'd love you to kind of walk through how you got here, was that those decisions actually are, while they appear to be quite hard, are actually really, really easy decisions. Um, so if you can kind of walk us through, like, how did you get to this thinking? How are you thinking about this only option test in order to reveal that? Um, well, <laughs> I, th I think it's really hard because it 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 comes intuitive to me. Um, I'm I'm like you. I don't like being stuck with with um, sort of the impossible choices. And I guess like, to some extent it goes back to the notion of satisfying, where mm -hmm. um, you, you 
sometimes you get you get confused because there are too many options and i mean we all know about the uh, there's a paradox of choice when you have too many jams and all that kind of thing but it can happen as you say even with two choices and it can be totally paralyzing um and i think by imagining a different universe or a different space in which one of those options um simply doesn't exist uh, would you need to um would you need to imagine it would, would you not be satisfied with whatever the remaining option is then and i think it's that kind of um that kind of thinking sort of in you, you could call it counterfactual in a sense but it's it's not quite counterfactual it's just it's a different kind of approaching it's taking a different vantage point at uh looking at whatever it is you're you're facing at that particular point and that can that can be quite revelatory i think yeah so i yeah i think about it as so i like that idea that you just said about it being a counterfactual right because what you're saying is let's imagine this other thing didn't exist and this were the only option i had would i be mm -hmm. pleased with it and obviously if the answer is yes that makes it a good option you can then do the reverse and say mm -hmm. you know if the other option were the only thing i had available to me would i be happy and if the answer is yes that tells you that it doesn't matter which one you choose because mm -hmm. you'd be satisfied mm -hmm. either way just in our last couple of seconds one of the things i think about is that some people have said when you have two options that are close flip a coin and if you're yep. sad with the way the coin lands yep. it should mean you choose the other option but yes. i say because the options are so close you'll be sad mm -hmm. either way Mm -hmm. So it's in, in that sense, it's just a way to get out of the decision and sort of reveal the same thing. So it's not actually revealing something about your preferences. It's revealing that the options are identical because I find that people are always sad whichever way the coin yeah. lands. But so anyway, I'm, we have nine seconds left. So yeah. we have to say our goodbyes. I hope we can do this again because I want to talk to you more. I find you so fascinating. And thank you for joining me.